Lord, in your word in Exodus, uh, you actually command your people in the middle of a really difficult uh, moment uh, as Pharaoh's army uh, bore down. And they were afraid. Uh, you said, uh, be still. Uh, you need to be still and you need to watch because the Lord will fight for you. And so, Lord, uh, thank you uh, even for this moment, uh, we ask that you would help our hearts be still. And if they're not, would you still them? And that we would know that you're God and that you are fighting for us. Um, even sometimes, Lord, when you're, it feels like you're fighting against us, you're fighting for us. You are so profoundly committed uh, to our goodness, to our best, um, and to your glory, which is for our best. And so... Uh, would you be good to us now uh, as we open up your word uh, and as we sing in response to that, uh, Lord, would you fight for our hearts uh, and set them free? We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, have a seat. I'm, uh, I'm Dave Burden, uh, the pastor at the Creve Hall Congregation. Uh, so it is good uh, to be here this morning. I was with the Creve Hall Congregation. We had... We've been hosting some outdoor worship services occasionally on um, a baseball field in Creve Hall. So uh, just about eight, I don't know, 45 minutes ago, I was shooting foam apples out of a slingshot as we were singing the fruit of the spirit with all the little kids. So I'm sorry, it's probably not gonna be that lively. Uh, I have no apples to throw at you, um, but uh, hopefully what the Lord has to throw at us through the word will be just as, uh, just as fun and encouraging. So. We're, uh, we're coming out of this uh, Priesthood of the Believer series. If you've been following along, um, great. If you haven't, I would encourage you to go listen to it. Uh, that was the last, you know, kind of the first five weeks. And we're a couple weeks into this new series called Thy Kingdom Come. And why we named it that uh, really was uh, building on this idea that God has given us this identity, this new identity as priests. He saved us, Exodus says, to be a kingdom of priests, to be ambassadors of him. Uh, I think I used this phrase. It was uh, another person's phrase. We're all borrowing from one another, right? To make the grace of the invisible king visible. And that's, the, that's the call on our lives is that as a priest and an ambassador of the Lord, I make the grace of the invisible king visible to the world around me. So he, he saved them and gave them this new identity, gave us a new identity and right after that, in Exodus 19 and Exodus 20, he basically starts laying out the law, you know, seen, you know, in a summary form in the Ten Commandments. And he's saying, this is how I want you to live out that new identity. That you're going to be in a unique relationship with me and you're going to be in a unique relationship with one another. And because of how you relate to me and how you relate to one another, the world is going to look at that and say, you serve a different God, Right? So we're going to look at these, and we've been looking at these Ten Commandments, but we've been looking at them in a little unique way. We've been looking at some of how Jesus unfolds through his teaching and interactions with people, the heart and, and really the, the essence of these commands, all right? So we've come to the fifth commandment, which is to honor thy father and mother, and we are going to look at the heart of that commandment through Jesus' teaching on the parable uh, of the lost sons or the parable of the prodigal son, uh, if you're familiar with that, okay? So I'm gonna read from Exodus 20, 
And then I'm going to read uh, from Luke 15, okay? So here we go. Exodus 20, 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And from Luke 15, 11 to 32. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It's the word of the Lord. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. Let me pray for me. Lord, open this, uh, the heart of this to us. Uh, teach us now, Holy Spirit. Uh, guide us, we pray, uh, for what you have for us this morning. Um, thank you for the beautiful picture of the gospel uh, this story is and how it invites us into uh, honoring in a different way. So we love you. In your name, amen. All right, so there may not be, um, it's funny, we discuss these things. We, when I say we, you're like, who's we? Uh, some of the pastors and other folks. Uh, and we were realizing there may not be a commandment that is more uh, controversial 
um, maybe more misunderstood than this commandment, to honor thy father and mother. Uh, maybe not a commandment that's been more misused <laughs> in certain ways. Some of you are like, yeah, it has been. By authority figures, right? Uh, it's really nuanced for us, isn't it? And what we really want to, I want us to lean into it because um, we can't talk about everything that this could potentially mean. Uh, we're, we're talking about it uh, through the lens of this story. But I really, I, my prayer is, is that you would actually hear, what, what does this mean for us today? Not just what does it mean, but what does this mean for us, for you and for me right now? And we have to, to, to kind of get to the heart of that, we have to understand the context for the hearer of the day, Right? So in Exodus as well as in Matthew. And part of that context, something that would have been radically different for you and for me than for them was this. That the world that, that they grew up in, the world that this message, these words, and you know, Exodus and Matthew, there's some distance between those two, right? But in both of those worlds, in Jewish culture, right? For the hearer of the day, uh, this was not a culture that was, you kind of grow up in your home and then you go through high school and then you're like off to college, right? And rushing somewhere or whatever. And it's make your own name in your own field of expertise, right? That's not what happened in this day and age. Family was absolutely everything in this day and age. It was, it was essential. Your family was essential to your survival. It was essential to your thriving, right? That's why the command talks about it will go well for you in the land, right? if you honor your father and mother. It was really practical because even post-marriage, right? Like if you got engaged and got married, you would just literally like build a little shed wing onto your dad's house and that's where you would bring your family into, right? And you would live with your father and mother and you would work in the family business and eventually when they died, you would take over their home and you would take over their trade, right? So in the context, uh, this wasn't what we experienced, right? A lot of us are kind of like, man, I can't wait to get out of the house. There was none of that these days, right? And even when it says there that it would go well with you in the land in Exodus, that the Lord your God is giving you, he's talking about, you know, they're, they're entering into or they're headed towards the promised land. They thought they were going a little bit quicker than it happened. But the focus there isn't just the way we think in terms of kind of our individual personal blessings. It was a communal blessing, right? That you honoring your father and your mother wasn't just good for the relationship of, of, the, of the family. It was good for the, the family, the Jewish family. Like a Jewish community was a tight community. Maybe you grew up, I grew up in a very small hometown where it was totally cool for other dads to discipline me like I was their son, you know? Like, we don't get a lot of that in Nashville these days where it's like, hey, man, that's my kid, right? It's like, no. There were plenty of dudes who, who felt very free to step into little Davy's world and say, hey, man, you need to chill, okay? Co-parenting was real in this community. So honoring your father and mother just didn't affect your family. It affected the whole community how you did it. There's a deep sense of interconnectedness, all right? So why, why do we look at that commandment, start talking about that commandment through the context of this story, all right? So three things I want us, if you're note-taking types, go ahead and, and take these down. What is honor, That's right? We're, we're talking about honor, honor thy father and mother. What is honor? 
Secondly, you can just write down honor takers. That's what we're going to look at in this story of these two sons. Honor takers, and then thirdly, uh, the call to be honor givers. All right? So what is honor, honor takers, and then honor givers? What is honor? First thing, what do you think of when you hear the word? I'll let you think for a second. Like when I, when I, I hear that word, I think of like old hymns. I grew up in a very small church, you know, where everybody sang just to the organ lady. And I think of like hymns where it's like, all glory, honor, and praise, right? Like just that kind of sandwich of words, right? Glory, honor, praise. They're kind of, they all dance together. Like, I don't know if you did, how many of you, this won't be on camera, so we won't know if you didn't. All right, they're just videoing me right now. How many of you made Honor Society? Come on, show hands. Yeah, that's all right, I didn't either. Right? Honor Society, right? You perform a certain way, you get the grades. I grew up, my brother, my older brother was brilliant. He graduated college with a 4-0 and a triple major in chemistry, physics, and computer systems, I think. Yeah, great shadow, right, <laughs> to grow up under. Right, and he graduated what? Summa cum laude, right? Whatever that, is that Latin? Is that what that is? Latin phrase. So when I graduated, I almost made my own little vestment thing, and I wanted it to say social cum laude, right? Because <laughs> honestly, I mean, it was like, even if I wasn't gonna be honored for my academics, I was gonna be honored for my social relationships. Like, honor culturally is, is about what do you do, right, in order to get something. We give honor where honor is due, right? It's merited praise. Now, if, that, if that's true, if that's what honor is, then it creates an immediate problem for us. An immediate problem. This commandment to honor your father and mother creates, should, if you're following along, immediate tension in your heart, right? And here's why. Because we have parents and we are parents who are going to fail miserably. We are going to do things and we have been exposed to parents who have done things that are incredibly dishonorable, right? Like for some of you in this room, there are things you maybe grew up in a very, very difficult home things that have been done to you to such a degree that it feels impossible to honor your father and mother. Because you have so much deep pain because of sin that they did to you. And some of you are on the opposite side. You have deep pain, right? Sin that, that you've done. Maybe you're on the parenting end of things, right? But if, if honor is just merited praise, then we have an immediate problem because I, I can't act honorable all the time. I'm not gonna do it perfect. I bear the marks of my parents' sin and my kids are gonna bear the marks of mine, right? Now we could have a whole sermon on parenting right now and setting healthy boundaries. That's, that's good and if your parents are sinning against you actively, maybe you need to do that. 
that's not what we're going to talk about this morning. So just caveat, if you're going to get off the off-ramp right now and say, this doesn't apply to me, it does. Hang on. But we have a problem because we are dishonorable. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So even with all of that in view, God has all of that in his view. God is commanding, I want you to honor your father and your mother. So this capacity to honor, the, the call on our lives, it must be something deeper than you do it well and I'll honor you. Honor society. <laughs> Summa cum laude, parent, right? Or you blew it. I'm absolutely free to dishonor you. It's got to be deeper than that. So that's why we're going to this story. What is honor? The word itself is, is simply this. It's the word that means heavy. If you looked at the actual original language, it means to have or to give weight to, significance to a relationship. And it's less about how we think about it purely in this like meriting praise sense. And it's also not just some kind of blind positional allegiance, right? That sometimes maybe you grew up in a home where it's just like honoring me means doing exactly what I say and you don't even get to think for yourself. There's plenty of that going on with parents and kids right now just based on the political conversations I hear going on, right? Parents demand, you know, kind of unhealthy honor, and sometimes they demand it because they're trying to get something from their kids, and sometimes we as kids, we give it because we're trying to get something from them. It's not about merited praise or blind positional allegiance. I would love for you to think about this word honor just in terms of its reality, that the families that we are born into, our parents, they have weight in our lives. It's why we love everything narrative and story these days, right? Because families, our parents, they have weight, good weight, and sometimes bad weight. For some of you, your, your parents don't have enough weight in your lives. And for some of you, your parents have way too much weight in your lives. But the fact that it's a command, the fact that that God actually has to say to us, you need to do this. It should stop us and make us say, why do you have to tell me to do that? Why isn't that an assumed thing, right? Why does this story that Jesus tell us help us see something really critical as it pertains to honor? And it's this, that honor is more about and the capacity to give honor is more about the person giving the honor than the person receiving it. I'm gonna say that again, because that's like hard candy. You're gonna need to, don't chew it. Pop it in there and just suck on it for a while, right? The capacity, my ability to honor is less about the person that I'm giving it to and more about me. That's what we're gonna talk about through this story. So honor, it's weight, significance, right? It's not just merited praise or blind allegiance. But my capacity to honor my father and mother, honor people, because this was a communal thing, right, is more about the person giving it than the person receiving it, which should make us stop right now and say that's really different than the way we think about it. Because I usually give it based on them. 
or I withhold it based on them. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 there's a different way. So we're made to be honor givers, right? He wouldn't have commanded us, said this is what I want. But the reality is, is what? Second point, we're honor takers. You can write down acting childish, not childlike, childish, right? Honor takers. So let's, let's talk about this story for a second that we read. The story, if you've been around church, um, I'll just say this. I probably have gotten to preach on this at least three or four times now, and it, every time I do, I'm realizing this story feels like it has no bottom to it. Like, it, it might be the whole Bible in one story to me. And so, uh, if, I, if, not, if you do nothing else, if you completely tune me out for the rest of the time, uh, if you go read this and spend some time meditating on it this week, I guarantee you the Lord's going to minister to your life just through observing what's in this text. But if, you, if you've been around church, if you've heard this preached on, if you've read it before, this historically, you know, it's called the, the, the prodigal son, Right? It focuses on the one son, but it's really a story about two sons and two sons that are both lost. One is alienated in one way and one is alienated in another way, but they're both alienated from the heart of their father, right? I've heard it said one son is lost in his badness and the other son is lost in his goodness, but both are lost. And Jesus is teaching this parable, and why he's teaching it is this, he's, not just, he's not just teaching about the state of the human heart apart from grace, because the state of the human heart apart from the grace of God is one that takes honor. That's what sin does. Sin makes me an honor taker rather than an honor giver. So he's teaching about the human heart in the story of these two boys, but he's also, more importantly, and I would challenge you to read it from this, this perspective, he's teaching mostly about the father's heart, about the state of the father. Because if, if, if sin makes us honor takers, well, what we see here in the father, and we'll get to him last, is, is he's an honor giver. He's full of the grace that we need. And this is really not a story about the boys, it's a story about the dad. Remember, he's first in the story. There was a man who had two sons. He's the main character of the story. He's the central figure. And sons acting the way that these two boys act is completely possible. But fathers acting this way in this culture was unimaginable. You could have a son that would act like the first boy, and you could definitely have a son that acted like the second boy. But a dad acting like this never would have happened in a Middle Eastern culture. A Middle Eastern patriarch would have never handled his sons and what they did to him this way. The story is about the father. We have to look at the boys to understand the significance of the father. And what the boys are is their honor takers, right? Let's talk about the younger son for a second, right? He's the first on the scene. I guess both boys are mentioned, but younger son, first thing, verse 12, says to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. 
And so he, the father, divided his property between them. And then he goes on this, um, I guess, trip to Vegas of sorts, right? Give me my share of the estate. Now, what he's doing in that sentence, I mean, again, uh, the cultural nuance here is, is some of what we're going to camp out in. Um, is a little lost, but, but you can just put this header over it. He is honoring his own desires at this point. He's, he's saying, I want my third, because he's the younger boy, he'd have gotten a third of the estate. I want my share of the estate now, which is the equivalent in that culture of saying, Dad, I wish you were dead already. It's not like, hey, man, can I get my trust fund a little bit early? I got a you know, business idea that I want to go invest in. He is literally saying the equivalent of, Dad, uh, I so badly don't want to be in your household, I wish you were already dead. And to, and to get a third of the estate, we're not talking about, you know, he went and swiped his ATM card or he sold some stocks here. We're talking about land in this day. So to give him a third of the estate was to actually sell all of this land off, and he would have spent his life acquiring that land. Like when it says there, he divided his property, the actual word there is he divided his life up amongst them. He divided his life up. And even the way this would have worked, the father still would have kind of, even giving the estate would have basically, um, you know, still been secure through the sons. So him asking for this right now is risking the father's and the whole family's future security. So he, he, is, he is completely abandoning everything towards his father and towards the rest of his family. And he's saying, I want to honor my own desires above all else. Right? And the Middle Eastern father, if this would have happened, um, he would have literally had him thrown out violently from their home for such an insult. He would have been justified by Jewish law and Jewish culture to do that. That's how the father would have been expected to act. But he doesn't, does he? We'll get to the father in a second. So he goes off and he spends it all, and he squanders it in wild living, and after he spends everything, there's a famine. So he's hungry. He hires himself out as a Jew to a citizen of the country, which would have been a Gentile, more disgrace, more dishonor, right? Then he goes and feeds pigs. If you know anything about the relationship between Jewish people and pigs, not good, right? More dishonor, you know, not summa cum laude. I don't know where he's headed now, right? And there in 17, it says, he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And this is the point where at least in my experience of being taught this, you're kind of like, ah, oh, you know, he hit rock bottom. <laughs> you know, he finally came to his senses. Um, but I'm going I'm to encourage you, we're, we're giving him way too much credit here. Um, he is not hitting rock bottom here. Um, he is still in a position, and what he attempts to go do with his father is still a move to honor himself. And it is true, he says, I am... I am no longer worthy, right, to be called your son. But even in the original language there, it says, I am now no longer worthy. It's kind of like saying, like, I know I've kind of blown it now, but just, you know, if I could just get a chance, right? I'm no longer worthy. 
I understand I've lost my honor through my performance. So much so that even when he was a long way off, it says there that the father goes out to him because the dishonor of what he did was so great that if the townspeople would have seen him, they would have taken action against this boy on behalf of the father, right? There were all these ceremonies that were even in Jewish culture that if you would have done something like this, the whole town would have enacted shame on you effectively. That's why the father, I mean, he was looking for him. He's like, if you break, you get into the town before I see you, you're in big trouble. So he says, I've, I've lost my, my worth, right? And so what does he do? He rehearses this repentance. I know we, we guys, again, you're just gonna have to trust me here on some of this. We'd love to believe that this was just this heartbroken place. But, but even the reality that Jesus says he came to his senses, or it can be translated, he came to himself, that was the problem in the first place. This guy came to himself. And his senses is what got him in the place he was in in the first place. And he's still trying to figure out how can I get back into that honorable place that I've lost, right? Right? And so he comes and he, he gives off his rehearsed repentance to the Father, right? I've sinned in heaven and against you, which just as a footnote, that's what Pharaoh said to Moses when he wanted one of the plagues to stop. And Pharaoh was not sincere. He was just hoping for a different outcome. He rehearses this repentance and, and before he can even get the words out of his mouth, what does the Father do? He says, Stop effectively, right? The father is so disinterested in his repentance. And part of the reason why is, is that his repentance is still pregnant with an ulterior motive. I'm still just trying to honor myself by getting something from the father. And when he says to him, make me a hired hand, you know, he says, my, you know, I don't want to come back as a slave or as a servant. Make me a hired hand. It was effectively saying, like, maybe you can train me as a carpenter because those guys have houses in the village and they make a certain wage. And so effectively, you know, can you kind of, I, I know I took a third, but can you kind of give me a bump and get me a place in town, right? And get me, a, you know, you know the local carpenter. Can you get me in a job apprenticing with him so I can earn a wage and maybe I can start to pay you back? But ultimately, I can regain my honor through my effort. Maybe I can regain a little, just claw my way back. I know I blew it. Claw my way back. But the father knows something. The father understands something. Remember, this is a story about the father. He knows he can't repay the debt, but he also knows this. You cannot self-restore the honor that you need and that you desire, the honor that you were made for. You can't work yourself back to that place. And so, I'm gonna do something for you because you are my treasure. My treasure isn't this land, it's you, boy. And you were dead, 
and now you are alive, you are lost, and now you are found. And so get the best robe, which would have been the father's robe, and get the ring, and let's throw a feast. It's literally like him saying, you were never gone to the whole town. Hands off, he's mine. And this is how I treat my boys. So I'm gonna absorb his disgrace and y'all's disgrace. This is unfathomable grace because what the father is doing is something very different. And remember, we're talking about honor. The father gives honor where honor isn't merited. So what about the older boy? Because I remember I said he's lost too, right? He's not lost in his badness. He's lost in his self-righteousness, right? One boy went, to a distant country and one boy was just over in the next field and was just as distant from his father. He wasn't lost in spite of his goodness but because of his goodness, right? It wasn't his sin that was keeping him from the father's heart. It was his good works that was keeping him from the father's heart, right? That was why he couldn't enter into the feast because of his comparative self-righteousness to the younger brother, right? And what this boy does, the older boy does when his, when his brother, even though he won't even call him brother, this son of yours, right? When the brother's home, he's effectively saying, Father, I won't honor what you honor. You're honoring this son, I won't do it. And he's saying to his father by his actions, I don't want to honor on your terms. I want to honor on my terms. I'll decide who I honor. And I'll decide what the definition of honor is. And I'll decide who deserves honor. And we see it in the way he speaks to him, right? He's out in the field. He comes near to the house. He hears music and dancing. What, what the expected response would be is he would bust into the party as the older son and been like, I'm here. And everybody would have been like high-fiving him. And he's like, let me go change my robes. I've been working, right? And then he would have come in and he would have been like, you know, the prince of the feast. He hears all of that and he calls for a servant because he's suspicious, right? And he asks what's going on. He says, your brother's come. Your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother is angry and he refuses to go in. The father goes out and pleads with him. Now, I know this is hard. I mean, again, this is cultural, but it's hard to imagine that 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 offense, that forcing a father to leave the feast was just as offensive as what the younger son did, but culturally it was. It was another major act of disgrace towards a father. And he gets out there and listen to how he talks to him. Look. You ever talk to your parents that way? My kids talk to me that way sometimes. Look, you know? Doesn't sound like a kid to, to somebody who has weight, does it? It sounds like a peer to a peer or maybe somebody talking down to somebody. Look. All these years, I've been slaving for you. Doesn't sound like it. Sounds like you've been slaving for you. And it's just not working the way you want it to. 
I mean, this is kind of the ultimate you for me, right? I've been working real hard for you for me. And then he says what? I have never disobeyed your orders. Whoa. I mean, exaggeration of your own goodness is a good sign when you find yourself saying things like that. I've never disobeyed. And what he's doing in this moment is he's treating his father and his brother in ways that he would have known I should not be treating my father and my brother in this ways. But he's betraying that. He's betraying himself, the call on his life as an older brother, and so therefore he's free to betray his father and his brother. And I can even get it, because I can, I can be really self-righteous. Like, me loves me some me sometimes, right? It's like, it's a good thing I'm as good as I am, right? You know, for everybody in my life, man. The low view of the brother makes sense to me. I can see how the older brother can get there. But the low view of the father, that's the one that rocks me personally. I can see how he could think the things that he thinks about his brother. But the father, that's how we know. When he treats his father this way, you're just as lost as the younger brother. You're turning on the father in the same way that your younger brother did. It's two sides of the same coin. And what does he say? Effectively, I deserve the fattened calf, not him. I've never disobeyed. I've been slaving for you. I, 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 I. Now give me what's mine. Give me my inheritance. Give me my honor that's due me. Right? I'm, I should be honored. I'm entitled to that honor because of how I've performed for you. You know what that is? That's religion. That's not the gospel. That's not the father that you and I come to and that these boys are being exposed to. The gospel says, I get what I don't deserve. Not, I get what I do deserve, right? And so as a result, um, this boy's heart towards the father, it's not heavy with honor. It's hard like a stone. It's calcified. So much so towards his father as well as his brother where he says, this son of yours, I, you're not even my brother anymore. And it was the elder brother's role in this culture that if this would have happened with a younger brother, it was on him to actually go travel and find him and bring him home. So he had been out there in the field working for his dad, absolutely ignoring his responsibility to be the elder brother. He was the one who should have left home and gone to the foreign distant country and drug his brother out of those pig fields and said, come home. And he didn't. Both sons were honor takers. One by his good works, and one by just his own greed for his own desires. They're honor takers. But remember, we're called to be honor givers, right? That's where this all started. Are we, everybody's following me, yeah? No? Okay. Honor givers. How, right? How do I become an honor giver? 
Well, I just encourage you that um, we have to come to the Father. We have to look at the Father in this story, not the sons. I mean, some of y'all will discuss this in a small group, and I, so much of the discussion will be like, which of the boys are you, you know? And that's, there's some good in that, but some of it is like, I need to look at the Father here and really let this sit in. Because this father was profoundly dishonored by his sons, but this father's honor wasn't something that he got from his sons. And that's some of the pain in a lot of y'all's stories is your parents made their honor dependent on your performance. And you bear the marks of it. Right? You reflect me, and that's all that you are is a reflection of me. But this father's honor wasn't something he got from them. It was something that he had. He had honor. He was honorable towards them, even in the face of their dishonor. And so, as those who are called, you and I, to be priests of a different king and a different kingdom, this should stop us in our tracks and say, it's possible for me now, because of my King Jesus, to give honor, to have honor, and to give honor in ways that completely astound the world. His ability to give honor was not about them because they didn't deserve it. His ability to give honor was about him, right? And so for the younger son, what does he do? He goes out to him. He has compassion. He runs to him, which no Middle Eastern father would have ever done. Super undignified move, right? Risking social ridicule and shame by the town. And he runs out to him, and then he kisses him. And think about that this way. Before he even tried his kind of puny, fake repentance, he honors him before the repentance. <laughs> right? That the honor, that the grace, it precedes repentance. It's not a product of it. If you repent well and if you prove that you're sorry enough, then I'll honor you. It's actually the grace that produces the repentance, not follows it. That should warm your heart. We spend a lot of time trying to get back into the good graces of the Lord and one another so that we can kind of get the honor back. And he's giving honor before you even get a word out. Robe, ring, you're in the family. Your belonging isn't lost or squandered. Let's have a feast. You're my treasure. And my treasure, it's yours. For the older son, he did the same thing. He went out to him and he pleaded with him. He begged him to come in. My son, even in the midst of getting spit in the face by the older boy, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Even what you're doing now can't change that. It's such astounding grace in the face of such disgrace. It's honor literally pushing back the dishonor of these sons. So much so that he's saying, we, we son, older boy, we have to celebrate. He's saying, I know you're denying your relationship with this, this son, but 
I'm trying to restore not only your relationship to me, but your relationship to him. And I'm going to do that by costly, honor-giving love where it's not deserved. These sons, they were honor-takers. And all they treasured was what the father could give to them. They treasured themselves effectively. And yet the father treasured his boys. And he said, I'm going to give you honor even where, you, where it's not due. And I just, I'd encourage us as we think about this call, honor thy father and mother. We're seeing two really clear pictures of the Godhead here. And God the father who honors his, his sons and daughters at unimaginable cost to himself. And setting us free from a life of saying your honor is dependent on your performance, right? And then Jesus, who was the elder brother that we really needed, right? Who, who basically says, I'm gonna go find you and bring you back into the family. And both of these pictures are this. There's an honor that can be given as an act of grace, not an act of merit. And if you're in Christ this morning, you have that honor. He has given it to you as an act of grace, not an act of merit. And Jesus understands something, that the only way that you and I are going to be those sort of honor givers, that can even honor our father and mother when they've dishonored us, the only way that we'll ever be those kind of honor givers as he intends for us to be that reflect him, that reflect his heart, is is that we would have to receive that honor first to give it. Those boys had to receive it, not earn it, not through their goodness or through their kind of schmarmy repentance scheme. (laughs) They had to receive it. They had to come to a father who could give it to them, and that's what he does. He's honorable where we have no hope of being honorable, and, and let me just say this. He hasn't just given you honor. He has given you himself. He didn't just welcome you home. He decided to make you his home. And he says, because I've made you my home and I've put my spirit and my heart inside of you, you can live like this. You can give honor even where honor isn't due. And so a good, good thing to ask this weekend, y'all get ready, we're about to worship what would it look like for you to give honor this way, right? I know it would be costly. It was so costly to the Father, right? But what would it look like instead of like the older brother or the younger brother, instead of looking at yourself or looking at everyone else, look at him. If I'm looking at somebody else, it's never possible for me to generate the honor, right? If I look at him, if I come to him, when I come to him, I have what I need, right? I'm gonna read this passage to close us, and then we will worship. This is Titus 3. At one time, we too were foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. 
But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and the rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And from Psalm 103, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He knows how we're formed. He remembers that we are dust. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you uh, that um, we see in this teaching uh, an honor that is given that is, uh, is not just an honor based on our ability to merit the honor, but it's an honor uh, that we could only receive from you. And so I pray that uh, as we think about being those who give honor, um, Lord, you would um, first and foremost bring us to yourself and that we would see that wherever we're at in the story, we're in desperate need of a father like this and you are that father. Uh, Lord, love us and love our hearts mercifully into a place of realizing uh, that the honor we so desperately desire is only found uh, in being given it by you. And set us free, Lord, that we would be people who don't sit um, like the elder brother in judgment all the time, uh, deciding who we are or aren't going to give honor to, uh, believing that our honor is in our own performance and our own goods. Um, but Lord, uh, would you set us free to be sons of our true Father um, and make us like our Father. Uh, we pray in your name, amen.